Trinidad Garcia is a connoisseur of American denim, a sewing genius. Even as a kid, he put together trendy outfits from next to nothing. He wanted to be a fashion designer, and at first he failed. He lost his truck, his shop, and his house too. And then he joined the Marines. He served in a unit that lost a lot of its members to suicide, and he left the service with a powerful sense of purpose. That purpose led him to use his talents as a designer to help fellow veterans. This is Out of Uniform, a podcast about men and women out of the service and how life in the military shaped who they are now. I'm Tim Kolzak, an Army combat veteran, and it's my life's mission to tell these stories. Trinidad Garcia is a well-dressed dude who walks with confidence. He's calm, disarming, and soft-spoken. But don't let that fool you. He's as tenacious as they come. Hence the success of his award-winning business, Trinidad Three Jeans. I sat down with Trinidad at his home in Oxnard, California. What do you remember first about really, first of all, wanting to be a United States Marine? And, and did that not shape early on? Was that something that came on later? It's, it shaped early on. Uh, my grandfather was a CB in the Navy, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. My dad's a Vietnam vet in the Air Force. That was my, my background. And growing up here, in, I was born in Port Wanimi, California. Um, growing up in Port Wanimi in Oxnard, right next to the CB base. And uh, what did it in the Marine Corps was my dad brought home a VHS movie, a full metal jacket. Oh, that'll do it. And that uh, that's when I first learned about the Marine Corps uh-huh. and somewhat what it was about. Yeah. And it just stayed ingrained in my head yeah. as a kid. Actually, I'll take that back because that could totally turn you the other way too. <laughs> you could see that movie and be like, oh, absolutely not. There is no way in hell I am doing that job. Well, I think that's that was the intention of my dad. Right, to scare you? <laughs> to scare me. Yeah. And, but, and it didn't work. No, it didn't work. Growing up, I was uh, an athlete. I was always really obsessed with jeans, even as a, a kid. Some of my favorite times was back to school shopping. Um, I'd have to get really creative so that kids wouldn't make fun of me for not having you know, a lot of clothes and didn't want to be seen as a poor kid. Yeah. Um, you know, if you had Payless shoes and this and that. <laughs> Which some people it didn't matter, yeah. But to me, it it did because that was that was my passion early on. Like I really was into clothes. Do you think that that had a massive impact upon your creativity now in in what you're doing now? Well, it really forced me to go think outside the box, and it started with me just wanting to show that I was, you know, a stylish kid, a cool kid that had a large wardrobe, mm-hmm. you know, because in school it's, it's what you're wearing. It's your shoes. It's your, what you have on because obviously you're not driving. Right. So you can't show off your car. <laughs> <laughs> and then into high school, I had, uh, I was getting into trouble. So they sent me to another high school. And what I would do was I would just call up my buddy from the other high school and we would swap like clothes mm. midweek. So I'd plan out and I'd put together looks for both of us. Yeah. And I was in the fashion section of the yearbook, was voted trendiest as well in, in high school. Uh-huh. 
So it was always like underlying. Uh, before that, I mean, I was in seventh grade, uh, electives were coming and I, <laughs> I took sewing. Mm. And I remember my dad showing up and he pulled me out. He showed up with a dean and he was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so they pulled me out. Sounds like something my dad. Would <laughs> <laughs> Alpha male. Very, like, yeah. What? <laughs> so I got, you know, Vietnam vet showing up and like, what the hell are you doing in sewing class? So I was like, I'm sewing a guitar, dad. <laughs> like I picked something manly, you know, I wasn't there sewing a My Little Pony, yeah. you know, plush toy. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it happened three more times in high school. Bam, he pulled me out again. What then led you to the Marine Corps? Because you joined the Marine Corps a little late, right? I'd say a little late, yeah. yeah. I was 31 years old. And you're joining the grunt side. And I, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you are crazy. I legitimately, uh, yes, yeah. I'm insane. <laughs> so, but that's what makes us great, right? Yeah. Well, well, what happened, I, you know, I always had it in me, you know, to, to do military service. And I just said, all right, I'm going to give this business to try first in college and then like the recruiter said you know i could revisit and go in so i went on that journey and um i made it all the way up to having a showroom in downtown la wow like i had no idea what i was really doing yeah i just knew i i looked up you know where the hub was so imagine you you want to play professional baseball and you show up at dodger stadium with your stuff yeah and that's what i did and amongst that, I was just lost. Yeah. Like, I don't even know why the guy rented me a space. And then I was swimming along. Then I had rent and everything on top of that. So I wanted to raise money to continue doing that. My brother was working for a finance company um, in the trucking industry. So he financed me a truck uh -huh. and I learned how to drive big rigs. Wow. And that's when diesel shot up to over $5 a gallon. Oh my gosh. And then all my trucks broke down. Oh my Like they're used trucks. So I had in between July and uh, November, I had over 57,000 in repairs and maintenance. Jeez. Oh, and so it just took oh, me down. The, hurt. You know, at the time I, you know, I had just bought a house, my daughter, um, was a newborn oh my gosh. so I lost my house I, so like, much pressure yeah it was a lot of pressure at that time and ironically while my brother was working for that finance company I used to repo trucks mm. so I was a, I did that for about six seven months and then ironically uh, my truck got repoed <laughs> I just let it go and then um, at that point I wanted to to restart my life and then I blamed it on fashion yeah <laughs> I was like I'm chasing this stupid dream and I should have listened to my parents my dad like when he pulled me out of sewing the first time uh -huh. um, which was, was going through my head and um, at the time I was in really great shape the only problem was that I was 31 years old mm. and which for age, those of you that don't know Marine Corps that is ancient it's extremely ancient what, what what did your wife think about this, man? What, what was she thinking? Like, was she was she okay with it? And she was just like, oh, whatever, you know? No, absolutely not. <laughs> she, she was not okay with it. Um, wow. Maybe she was upset and she, you know, a little bit. Uh, and she was like, why are you doing this? There's yeah. other things you can do. Yeah. And then she said, okay. When she finally accepted it, she says, okay, so what are you going to do in the, in the Marines? 
you know, mm-hmm. are you going to be, you know, admin? You went to, to college and I told her, um, infantry. <laughs> and she, she lost it. <laughs> she lost it. Yeah. Divorce papers start to come out <laughs> yeah. at that point. <laughs> yeah. She was just, yeah. Wow. Man. Speechless. My sure. dad, my dad called me up and he was like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> the typical air force dad, exactly. Yeah. Typical air force pops, yeah. you know, from Vietnam. He's like, you have no idea what you're getting into. He, he said, you know, I spent a couple years in Vietnam, 1965. And he's mm-hmm. like, you have no idea what you're getting into. And, um, I told him, well, you know, you can't pull me out this time, dude. I'm, yeah. I'm going. And I fought really hard. It took about six months Mm. to get me in. Trinidad Garcia joined the 2nd Battalion 7th Marine Regiment, or 2-7 for short. 2-7 has a lot of history behind it, actually. The unit deployed to a chaotic and violent part of Afghanistan in 2008. And so eight months of near-constant fighting, they were outnumbered and frequently under-resourced. They suffered more casualties than any other Marine Battalion that year, and the trauma that experience haunted the surviving members. When 2-7 returned home and tried to adjust to civilian life, they were faced with a new danger. Starting soon after they returned from Afghanistan, they began taking their own lives at an unprecedented rate. A series of reports by the New York Times in 2015 tabulated the losses. By then, 14 Marines from that unit had taken their own lives. The suicide rate within the unit was four times higher than average for young male veterans, the Times reported, and vastly higher than the civilian average. The battalion became a symbol of a larger problem. The high suicide rate among combat veterans and the inability of various efforts by the military and the VA to lower it. So this was the atmosphere that Trinidad entered when he joined 2-7 in 2012. At that time, the battalion was training in the desert of California in preparation for another deployment. What was it like becoming a part of that that unit? And what was the dynamic there when you got there? Um, The dynamic there was quite intense. I mean, the first thing I saw when I got my barracks was I saw, you know, um, a two seven Marine that, that it got blown up and, you know, he's walking down the, the catway, the P way with uh, prosthetic and, um, just the whole tone of the time I could tell, uh, probably because I was older, yeah. I could read the room, if you will, a lot better. And I knew that that they had certainly um, gone through some rough times. Yeah. You know, a lot of them, because I was older, they opened up to mm-hmm. me, you know, typically they don't do that to their boots. Yeah. And uh, so just to be able to hear them out, be there, train under them because they were, they were tasked to train us to get ready to go back. And uh, which that training was really challenging, and and I could tell that, you know, their their patience, um, there wasn't any patience. Yeah. You know, they trained us really aggressively, and then on the flip side, um, to see when they it was time for that generation to reenlist, mm-hmm. that very few reenlisted. Right. Most of them, I mean you. I, the ones that I knew of, I mean, you can count them on, on one hand, yeah. like they all, um, most of them just wanted to continue on with, with their lives yeah. outside the Marine Corps. And I knew that was, you know, there was something there and I felt really honored that I, I was able to, 
to hear them and you know hear them out um to be there for them to train with them to sweat with them and what's really tough was that these guys that i that i looked up to that mentored me that you know turned me into uh the hard charging machine gunner if you will uh, and marine they started taking their lives at a rate that was just um yeah it was just it was rough it was just it was really really hard to to see that it was so bad that the commandant opened up an investigation into why this was happening to his young marines but there was no true resolution there was just pain torment and suffering so many young marines what do we have to show at the end of that that's a question that should haunt everyone we're losing our warriors at home on a battlefield that follows us that battlefield is the mind heart and soul it doesn't just end when combat ends that very real effect is seen here with 2-7 i have many friends who served in 270 see who served in that area of the valley helmand province they saw unspeakable things and those things followed them home do you develop a numbness in a way when starts to become more prevalent because obviously you dealt with a lot of that i'm sure when that first one you know took his own life it was kind of stunning but then when you go down that track and it starts happening more and more what what what's the feeling initially it's it's a huge blow because i saw the the fight that they had and at the time i was still in i was on active duty still i, I did eight years and and so our you know you you kind of look at it you go numb and you uh you just keep moving yeah and um it's just really it was really really tough to to accept yeah but it also made me reach out to those that you know my seniors that were really close to me you know, one of them is, he's a member at MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really close to him um, early on. He was my corporal. And during my tough times when I was going through some some moments myself, um, I reached out to him and he was able to, he was at a point in his transition where he was able to give me some advice and and really help keep me moving. And so we found purpose in helping each other out and just being a resource for one another. When he left the service, Trinidad Garcia had a very clear-cut plan, a purpose. When you're in the military, life's 100 miles an hour. You're living a very regimented lifestyle with a purpose that's right there for you laid out. And all of a sudden, you lose that, which is confusing by itself. But then you're trying to find yourself outside of it in a completely different world, away from the team that was your family. People wonder why there's such a problem with service members and veterans taking their own lives. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's not so much about finding a job, but finding a purpose that ignites that fervor, ignites the heart of a young Marine who's left a regimented environment where his duties and responsibilities were such a powerful part of his life. Trinidad already had it figured out. And so I think that serves as a lesson. Find that purpose and you can find that identity. And through that identity, you can find true growth. Um, you had that designer within, right? That guy right. who wanted to 
you know, keep up with all these incredible artists. And you wanted a bit of that. You wanted a piece of the action, but that forging fire and that proving ground in a way was the Marine Corps, which is interesting, right? Because you don't think, well, I'm going to go be an infantry Marine so I can... So go, to can fashion go, fashion, go to fashion school. <laughs> I mean, well, that's not I, usually the thought, but I mean, I asked my recruiter because they had that book of all military approved schools that you can use your GI Bill. Yeah, and then I saw the Fashion Institute on there, and so I asked the recruiter. I'm telling, I'm like, so you're telling me <laughs> if I go Marine Corps <laughs> Infantry, I can go to this school in this book, right? Uh -huh. He's like. Yeah, I said, even this fashion school? And he said, I don't know why you would do that, but it's in the book, isn't it? 99.9% so. <laughs> mm -hmm. of Marines' reaction to you <laughs> wanting to go to fashion school. <laughs> yeah, which was like, yeah, just not, not typical, I guess. Trinidad chose an unusual career path, and he's never liked being put into a box. And that's something I get from a lot of veterans. He didn't want to be known as a Marine who dabbled in fashion. He wanted to be known as one of the best fashion designers on the planet because he is the best. Not because he served in the Marine Corps. And I understand that completely. I felt the same way when I was becoming a photographer and I was told that I should tell veteran stories. Why? I felt like I was being pigeonholed. Like I was being told that I wasn't good enough to be a photographer on my own terms. That I had to tell veteran stories in order for people to respect me. To tell you the truth, that hurt a little. I wanted to be respected for my work and for my art, not because I was a veteran. And I think that's because most of us join and we're very self-motivated. We're highly competitive individuals who see a chance of bettering ourselves through a very sacrificial decision. That's a beautiful thing. We don't want a handout. We want a chance to be great. We want a chance at a different life on our own terms. We're not asking for your pity. You wanted to be known for being a designer first, primarily. Right. Primarily, yeah. yeah. And then people find out you're a Marine. Like, exactly. Cool, wow. And he's a Marine? Like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. They say they, I mean, obviously everyone gets surprised. Everyone meaning just civilian in the fashion world, there's very few veterans in there. Yeah. Most people don't really, um, don't really understand us or, or get us per se. Yeah. But they do understand fashion. There's an attention to detail there, right? With the design and just just the blueprint of what you're doing, right? Putting these incredible pieces of fabric together, creating something beautiful and timeless, something that people want to wear, something that people won't be afraid to spend a little coin on. Well, the biggest thing that's driving the cost on our jeans is that it's made here in the United States. Yeah. You know, sometimes, point. sometimes I, I feel like I'm getting penalized for being here because people aren't buying my product because it's in their eyes, it's too expensive. Yeah. And we're being socially responsible. We're being made here. Um, we're now working with the newest denim mill. So, mm. so American denim is making a comeback. It gone away. Yeah. It's, and I spend most of my time educating people on, on denim and mainly American denim. Yeah. Um, because it's such an iconic fabric and the jean levi's 1849 here in san francisco california it's like come on yeah. you know and then throughout the throughout our history it's just been a piece of our culture on a lot of different levels and then as i'm getting into the business the most iconic mill in the united states um cone mills white oak plant north carolina shuts down Mm. you know wow. I mean, they were open for over a hundred years Jeez. you know just real heritage stuff and then to see them 
you know, go down was gut-wrenching. The Cone Denim White Oak plant in Greensboro, North Carolina, was actually a pillar of the town. It helped give the town the nickname Jeansboro. Yeah, I'm not kidding. But it shut down in 2017 after 112 years in operation, taking part of the town's identity with it. I toured the facility uh, three months before they closed wow. as a student. So I felt really, really honored and blessed to be able to, to see it while it was still in operation. And then now, just recently, the Dahlia Mills, they purchased those iconic looms that make the fabrics. I mean, those things were built in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and they they turned them back on. Wow. Uh, and I was honored to be there when they were just getting them on. This is out of uniform. In a moment, we pick up with the chance meeting Trinidad Garcia had with a disabled vet and the special jeans he designed for him. Don't go away. Paula Harris is a petroleum engineer who spent her career upending expectations. You are always in a situation where you're kind of different or uncomfortable or made to feel like I need to survive this. No Hill for a Climber is a podcast about Texans finding success in business, not despite the challenges, but because of the challenges. Listen wherever you find podcasts or at tpr.org slash nohill. This is Out of Uniform. I'm Tim Kolzak. Trinidad Garcia was invited in 2019 to be a vendor at a Southern California skydiving event that supports wounded vets. That's where he met Marine veteran Josue Barone, who's also been featured in this series. Josue lost a leg and one eye early on in his tour of Afghanistan in the same area where Trinidad's unit saw heavy combat. Even though Trinidad didn't do a tour himself, he understood what Josue was going through with the losses of his buddies and the wounds he brought back home. The event where they met was called Operation Jump 22. So I was showing the, the collection there, but more importantly, I just wanted to be amongst my, my brothers and sisters in arms. And uh, from there I met um, Josue and he really liked our jeans and the collection he he showed up and he was wearing some really cool sunglasses um he always wears shorts because of his prosthetic and then he had on a a jacket that was you know on trend so right away that like that he's he's a well-dressed dude he's a well i I recognize well-dressed dudes and he's a well-dressed yeah he's debbie's part of the reason but he's definitely a well-dressed well he he did say that he gave that stipulation he was like yeah my wife you know helps me out and (laughs) and uh i just like yeah well you know it's it's well put together and then he he looked at the jeans and he said man i really you know want to wear them but i i can't because of my prosthetic he said i don't even wear jeans um and uh, i said well maybe there's something we can do you know one marine to the other and then from there it was december i had invited him to come over to the factory to my office and that way i could you know really develop and see what we can do to help him out get him in a pair of jeans so he came by and mind you, during that time, it was a rough week. That whole, I had, uh, I have an Airstream trailer. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had crashed it. <laughs> I had, nice. uh, I got evicted from my other warehouse. I had a warehouse. So I got my eviction notice wow. to get out of there. And then uh, my truck got repoed. 
So I kind of went through a rough patch. Wow. So I borrowed a car and I, I said, you know, if anything, I'm, I'm going to stick to what I believe in. And like, if I'm going out, I'm going to do this gene for Barone if it's the last thing I do. Wow. And so I, I went down there, um, observed them. Uh, we went to lunch and I just watched like what really saw what his struggle was and then developed uh, a gene um, that would work for him, but not only work for him, that would be on trend, something that people without prosthetics would want to wear. Yeah. And that, that was a challenge. And there was no in between, like it was either going to be a hit or it was just going to be a hospital pant. There yeah. was like no in between with right. this. And I was really nervous because the pressure, like, man, you know, Barone's really, his story and, and what he's done just really inspires me, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just as a human being. And the pressure of having to make a gene, I didn't want to upset him, you know, or fall short. Right. Or have another, you know, disappointment. He shared that there's other brands that have tried to do things, but none of them came through. And so within two days, it took us two days. He came in on Tuesday. Wow. Um, by Thursday, we had the gene sewn up. The gene Trinidad designed is called the Barone. It's for an amputee like Josue Barone, whose prosthetic is attached at the hip. There's a cool-looking zipper on the upper front pant leg, so Josue can easily release his locking strap and sit comfortably. When he's done, he stands, straps his prosthetic back in, and closes the zipper. And he tried the gene on and was just blown away. Um, he was out to dinner with his family, and then he sends me a text, you know, telling me that how that gene, and it gives me chills every time I talk about it, but yeah. uh, how that gene changed his life, you know, and made his life easier, wow. you know, because he's now able to go to dinner without being embarrassed. Um, yeah. He has to release his leg every time he sits down. And wow. the only way to do that is either you pull, he wears shorts, so he pulls his shorts all the way up, or if he gets into pants, he has to pull his pants down. Mm. And that, you know, already he has a challenge of just feeling um, normal in a crowd, like doesn't want to draw attention to himself. Mm -hmm. So this gene really allowed him to function without drawing a lot of attention. Yeah. And then he just felt, he said he felt empowered, like they look good, you know, yeah. it was like a slim taper. So it was on trend. And then I designed it to where it kind of looks like a motorcycle gene. Like I tell um, people in the industry, if I don't sell another gene, Again, I'm I'm good. Like mission accomplished. Honestly, I feel yeah. fulfilled. Yeah. And what do you want to impress upon veterans who maybe, or anybody in the community who sees your gene and goes, "Man, you know." But normally, here's the thing, man. I get my jeans for fifty bucks down, or or forty, or, or you know, probably cheaper than that. You know, right. Thirty or forty bucks, man. What? Why should I get? You know, yeah, I've got the money, but. I want to spend it on other things. Why should I spend it on your jeans? I mean, I just challenge every, every veteran, like flip your labels, you know, like who are we supporting? What, why right. in this day and age, I think, um, with sustainability, transparency and all these, these words um, that are getting kicked around. Um, and a lot of them purely just words, purely actually action. Exactly. Like, you know, I, I really believe in, in doing things the right way. And if that's something that aligns with what your beliefs are, mm -hmm. then this gene is certainly for you.
You know, this concept of flipping your labels is something that Trinidad talked about a lot, and I truly believe he sees it as his social responsibility as an American to keep production here at home within our borders. Why is that? He could easily take the product overseas and the manufacturing with it. He would save himself huge amounts of money. But instead, he chooses to pay his workers much better here at home. When you talk to Trinidad, he believes in this concept wholeheartedly, just the way that he believed in joining the Marine Corps being the right thing to do. He believes that American denim truly needs to come from here. I get the sense that this is about patriotism, his version of patriotism, and giving back. I, I know it can be done. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, it's going to cost a little bit more. It's uncomfortable for me, mm -hmm. you know, to have to find a way to make this product solely because it's what I believe in. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, I mean, we've all enjoyed the benefits of spending, you know, less on a garment. But over time, uh, I think we're actually spending more. You know, the world of fashion is certainly not for the faint-hearted. In fact, Trinidad spent years battling for space in the denim world, and yet, even with a high-quality product, there's simply no guarantees. You can check out Trinidad Garcia's full lineup apparel at trinidad3.com. I'm Tim Kolzak. This is Out of Uniform, a podcast in collaboration with the Veterans Project and Texas Public Radio. You can hear a longer version of this interview and see my photographs of Trinidad and other veterans at thevetsproject.com. This episode was produced by Ben Henry with help from Adam Kulikov and Cindy Carpian. Jacob Rosati composed the theme music and did the sound design. The executive producer is Carson Frame. Back to you next time. If you or someone you know may be considering suicide, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741.